Chicago. This is your new morning routine. Cap and J-Hood. Follow Cap J-Hood on Twitter and Instagram. Stream the show on the new ESPN Chicago app. Watch the show on Twitch. Twitch. Follow ESPN 1000 Chicago. Now, 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 on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. David Kaplan and Jonathan Hood. Woo! Bring them out, bring them out, bring them out, bring them out. 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 Yesterday... My friend Jonathan Hood, I felt like, was the day sports officially returned. Watching that scene as Phil Mickelson hit his approach shot to the green on 18, and it is a mass of humanity following him up the fairway. There's no way security could hold everyone off. Reminded me of Tiger Woods in Chicago in the Western Open several years ago. But that that was so freaking cool. And then to watch the Knicks game and MSG alive. I mean, it was what a weekend of sports. How are you? I'm well, thank you, because there was so much to talk about. We'll try to get it all in by 10 o'clock when we cross talk with Carmen and Yurko. But, you know, the distinguishing characteristic about that, how you feel about sports returning officially, you know, the common denominator fans. Fans. It was incredible. Because these events by themselves, think about Phil Mickelson walking 18 by himself with no crowd. Correct. Think about Derek Rose and the Knicks at Madison Square Garden, as if we haven't seen that already, by the way. Nobody at the Garden. But yet you see a great battle between the Hawks and the Knicks last night, right? Yep. You think about the St. Louis Cardinals and Cubs game yesterday where it's it was uh, full capacity. But you could tell the people are on the edge of their seats, even with a 0-0 game all the way through until the ninth. Uh, same thing at Yankee Stadium for the White Sox. The difference is, is the fans. We have talked to athletes over the years, Cap, that have said, you know, the fans, oh, they're just so fickle. You know, I could just play in empty stadiums. You had the opportunity to do that. And now some players have been like, yeah, just the atmosphere doesn't seem the same. Mental health, all this stuff. Like, I don't feel like I have an audience watching me. They went through this in the pandemic. And then, the, but the th- reason why it felt good to you is because there are people, there was interest, not social media. Let's put that to the side. We're talking about fans you could see, fans that were there cheering, fans that had the adulation at the top of their lungs, screaming for good things to happen for their favorite player or their favorite teams. That's why it felt good this weekend. It was something else to see 15,000 at Madison Square Garden. An amazing game. And I'm cheering for the Knicks, and I want Tibbs to make a little bit of a run. I don't think their roster is that good, but he's done a great job coaching that team. Trey Young with an incredible shot to win the game. Yeah, they're unafraid, the Atlanta Hawks. They're not afraid of anybody. They're not afraid. Now They score in bunches. And, and they make the coaching change, and McMillan's got that team on the right path. It's going to be a good series. Great series. So there was a lot of really good basketball weekend. Hockey playoffs are just incredible theater. I'm watching a double overtime game yesterday with my son. Mm-hmm. And then we've got Mickelson on a TV. 
and thinking, can this guy actually pull this off? He was 200 to 1 if you'd have bet him before Thursday. 200 to 1. Can you imagine that saying, yeah, I'll throw $100 on you? Wow. I think the reason why, if you have that disposable income to throw money at Mickelson is because what brought golf to a crescendo? It was Tiger versus Phil. Mm -hmm. We've forgotten about Phil, and there's a reason why. He has not been in this spot as far as winning a major since 2013. It's been a while for, for Phil, but he's still viable. As a matter of fact, on Thursday and Friday, we're watching the warm-ups and we're watching the early part of that tournament. And we're, I'm pointing out to you, Eric, there's Phil. It's it. You say, well, it's Phil. But no, you got to watch him. Because you don't know if it's going to be great or disaster. Correct. See, here's what's happened to Phil Mickelson. And the reason why that this is a great story this morning is because Phil Mickelson was a guy that just was failing in big moments where you know that he be sh- should be shorthanded in winning tournaments. And there would be this time where he would just have the yips on 16, 17, and they're, he's losing the lead and ends up losing. Some people, I think, lost faith in Mickelson. But for him to be able to come through like we saw old school Mickelson do, I think that people look at that story and say, wow. Look at the guy that used to be great, was able to capture another major. So I was following Tina Mickelson, his sister, on Twitter. She's a golf pro, and she puts out some golf videos, very cool stuff. She tweets yesterday, have to show you all the texts from mom as the final round is going on. Tina, text Philip and tell him just to par in. Don't hit bombs or activate calves. Just par they'll have to catch him he won't listen to his mother do you text him hurry and she said i'll text him of course that's his caddy and his brother he's the only one phil is listening to today and then she said while you guys were busy on the golf course last week at a family dinner we're all sitting around and phil says i had a complete breakthrough and epiphany today i will win soon tim the caddy I can attest to that. He's playing his best golf in a while. Today was not as shocking as it might have seemed. How cool is that that he belie- like felt like I'm here. I'm ready to do this. And then he goes and wins a major again. Oh, all the best feel that way, right? They always feel they can get it done. Right. See, this is why I always have, I kind of lean into some of the old veterans on there. We talk about Lee Westwood. When will he ever win a major, right? I'm, my golf experience is complete if that guy wins a major. Because mm-hmm. that's one of the... Weird things about his career where he's had some great moments, but was able to, never able to get it done. You know, the big storyline that we continue to read about is like, oh, Phil Mickelson does it, Cap. He does it at age 50. What's 50 today in sports, really? Right. When you think about it. Right. They make it seem like this guy is ancient, mm-hmm. right? And so <laughs> who's that? Old Tom Morris, right? Old Tom Morris. He, he did it at age 48, well, JR, put that uh, picture, please, on uh, Cap J Hood on Twitter and Instagram so everyone can see old Tom Morris. And by the way, I don't think he was born old Tom Morris. That's just his nickname, old. Correct. At age 48, he looks 80. He, he looks like he looks JR, look like JR, as a matter of fact. I got the long beard. That's enough, JR. He's got the long beard. He's kind of like, at age 48, they didn't have the medicine. They didn't have the vitamins. for you So he could look as good as they Phil. They didn't have training. Right. Right. <laughs> well, training was walking up a hill. Exactly. But he looks 80, old Tom Morris. So when you look at Phil, Phil at age 50, that's not the story. The story is for him to come from where he was, 2013, long time, right, for him to be able to win a major. Today, we've got Tom Brady in his 40s getting it done. We've got Sue Bird in the WNBA who's 40, in which 
the parents of some of her teammates says, oh, I remember you when you first started. It makes her feel even older. Sue Sue Bird's 40. You know, Drew Brees just retired. Peyton Manning played it a long time. I I don't look at age anymore, Cap. I look at age only if the accomplishment is great. I don't look at it as, man, that guy's old or she's old and she's getting. No, because I think that the 40 or 45 is the new 30, isn't it, in some ways? Don't disagree. But yesterday, fill aside, I just felt sitting there with my son watching all these different events, Mm -hmm. sports came back. Yes. it's been around, and there's been the pandemic, and there's been limited attendance. And then I look, and I'm like, oh, my God, the scene coming up 18 was incredible. Incredible. Then to watch the Knicks and the Atlanta Hawks right down to the bitter end and 15,000 strong at Madison Square Garden. If you're a big-time free agent... You're telling me you're not looking at that situation going, Madison Square Garden, the Mecca. Even Trey Young said, I'm in the Mecca. They yeah. all call it that. Yeah, no, there's certain places you like to visit, but you may not want to live. I mean, the, the Knicks have a lot more to prove than just having a lot of fans out there for game one of the playoffs. You have to actually, for free agents who want to be there, they want to be with a winner as close as possible. Now, I think that... The building is not something that is an attraction for young people. It's just another trip uh, on the road. They're like, oh, man, I'm in, a, I'm in an old building, the Mecca, cool. But would I want to play here? Probably not. Yeah, Probably I, only, only because there's Jim Dolan. It's because your agent knows who Jim Dolan is as a boob of, of an owner because of the ineptitude of the team. In New York, for young people, Brooklyn is the cool spot. Even though I look at Tom Thibodeau and say, man, if I'm a young player, I'd like to play with him because I know they can get me to the next level. But the point is, Cap, is that in today's NBA for a young person, they look at New York. I think it's great and you think it's great, but that's because we're a certain age. Young people look at the, that Master Score Garden is like, cool, when do we go to Philly? Yeah. Cool, when we go to yeah, Boston. Yeah, I disagree with you. I think Brooklyn couldn't sell their allotment of tickets for their game, even though they have the best team in the East and some say the best in the game, that scene at MSG, I'm just telling you, man, with World Wide West and Leon Rose running things and Tibbs there, I'm, they were the four seed. I'm just telling you, I think they're going to be a beast to beat on a big-time free agent. Uh, you know, you can sell it, but what are you selling? You're selling a, a, you're selling a, a vision more so than reality. What are you selling? All those, all those losses, all those bad teams, if you're a free agent, you go, why do I want to play there? Because what, what's, your, what's your legacy, 1972? Because they f- look like they may have turned the corner. If you're a really good player, you might be the guy that puts them over the top. You don't know if it's a mirage or not. You just you don't know. I mean, look, look at the NBA. The NBA is as close to the NFL than ever before, in which you can go anywhere and make a good dollar. Mm-hmm. Of course, we know the major markets, and we know how important New York, L.A., Chicago, Houston, the Bay Area is to the NBA. But, yes, it was great to be able to see a lot of people at Madison Square Garden. However, there are some free agents that will look at it and say, man, I need to win, and I need to win right away. It's up to the Knicks to prove that they're going to be that team. One event or one season does not make for all the ineptitude over the last 30 years with this Knicks team. Don't disagree. 312-332-3776. Our baseball teams had big series this weekend. One in New York, 
one in St. Louis, one impressed, one disappointed. 312-332-3776. That's next. Cap and Jay Hood. Mornings. ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Nine o'clock in Chicago. Sports are back. That scene yesterday was just awesome with Mickelson on 18. The White Sox had a rough weekend, but they were on the big stage in New York. NHL playoffs were sensational from Friday on, as were the NBA playoffs. And then we put the cherry on top of the Sunday last night when Javi Baez two-run bomb off Alex Reyes to dead center up onto that grass berm, 417 feet, exit velocity of 106.7, and the Cubs walk away with a 2-1 win and a series win over the Redbirds. Jesse Rogers is fueled by the Pride Stores, not your typical convenience store. Check out one of their 15 Chicagoland locations today. Jesse, good morning. Eric Backus, the home plate umpire. That guy's got to be disciplined. He was awful yesterday. Yeah, really affected the game. I mean, for both teams, for both teams, it seemed like for the Cubs a little bit more. Wainwright, um, you know, was using the knowledge that he was going to get that outside pitch and, and, and went out there often. So interesting, Cap, listening to David Ross after the game because, you know, they have all these stats on these umpires. And Bacchus calls the fourth most strikes outside the zone of anyone in the league. So as soon as he saw him doing that early in the game, Ross got on him and eventually, of course, got ejected. He knew between Wainwright and Molina, they would take advantage. This is a rookie ump. They would take advantage of him if he started the game calling that wide zone, which, again, Ross knew he might based on on previous you know knowledge and data. So I thought it was really cool of David Ross to be on top of that and try to nip it in the bud I don't think it worked. Wainwright had 31 called strikes, the most tied with Kyle Hendricks of any pitcher in baseball in a start this season. So it was wide. It was also wide in favor of the Cubs as well. They had a a few pitches outside, even in the ninth inning, I think, with with Kimbrell. Um, So it just wasn't a good zone, but I think it affected the Cubs more because Wainwright knew how to use it, especially with Molina behind the plate. So, Jesse, I think it begs the question, which Cubs are going to step up? Was it game, the Game 1 Cubs against the Cardinals or the last two? The last two seem, seemingly is more Cubs as far as trying to find offense, sometimes win, sometimes lose. So how do you characterize the Cubs at this point? Well, look, they've played the most one-run games in the league now, 18. They're 9-9 nine and nine in them. So there's, there's some good, there's some bad. They're, what, a couple games above 500. That kind of tells you what you need to know. They're hanging in there. But they're certainly looking better this month than they did in April on offense. I think we all agree, since Duffy and certainly Nico Horner was inserted in the lineup, Duffy's hurting a little bit. And when Marisnik was in there, you know, it's changed the offense. That looks a little bit more consistent, Jay Hood. Now, it's not going to be great every night. The Cardinals certainly in the rotation can pitch. Wainwright can pitch. And when an umpire gives you that big zone, it's going to affect you. But I, I'm more concerned about the pitching staff. If, if you're thinking about a great season for the Cubs, can this rotation and this young bullpen last into September, maybe even into October? I'm not sure that they can. I'll give you an example, again, why this debate about trade or not trade come July is going to really increase. 
Yesterday before the game, Tommy Hadovy was talking about how they may have to back off Azalea a little bit. Not a shock, right? Um, young guy, didn't really pitch much last year. They may have to do that at some point. Now, he's a key cog right now. He's pitching great. But if they have to back off a little bit, skip a start, whatever the case may be, that affects how this thing's going to go down the line. Same with these young relievers who are great, the Keegan Thompsons and Tommy Nance. They didn't pitch last year. You have to be able to project them into September, into October. And that's where we get back to that question, like what's going to happen in July? I still think the default position is to sell. And um, you, you, the funny part is you've been waiting for this offense to come, to come to life a little bit these last few years and find some consistency, and it has. Now I, I still feel like it's a little wonky on the mound, uh, Jay Hood. So it's a good team. It just may not be a great, great team, and that's the, that's the decision that Jed has to sort of navigate around. So I'm most impressed by what Tommy Hadovy and the bullpen have been able to do yesterday. It's, let's see, Chance to... Uh, Tapera was in to there. Ryan Tapera looks amazing. In fact, during the Tapera appearance, Matt Vasgersian said, okay, this isn't the same bullpen we watched six weeks ago. And then you see Kimbrell come in, got his second plate appearance as a hitter. Yeah, uh, of great. his career, but all those guys together, uh, Dan Winkler, these guys have really stepped up. Why? They have changed things. The The development has changed. Craig Breslow is in charge of their pitching. Uh, basically, it feels like since they, they started up at that alternate site last year, they have done a good job of developing, finally, their pitchers. Now, they're not going to hit on all of them, but my God, Keegan Thompson looks great. Tommy Nance was an independent ball. Ryan Tapero didn't have much of a resume. He looks good. Now, again, I'm not thinking about this year, but I'm thinking about the next few. You really might have a foundation down there in the bullpen, and maybe a couple of them, Keegan Thompson's one, um, Justin Steele maybe, end up in the starting rotation. So there's a lot of good going on there, Cap. It is, again, a scouting and development success that we haven't seen on the mound with this team in five years. So you got to give kudos um, to Theo as well, they drafted some of these guys, but I think it's the development that's changed over the last couple. Jesse, uh, Cap and I were talking about trying to figure out if you are Jed Hoyer, what do you want to do with the Cubs here by the time we get closer to the deadline? So 23, uh, right now, 24 and 22, you mentioned a couple of games over 500. When do you determine if you are the Cubs, whether or not you add or subtract to this team? Because it's not like we haven't seen this before, right? A competitive team falling short in the playoffs. Right. Uh, this is the fascinating aspect of the Cubs, and we've talked about it since spring training. I really think, again, his default position is to sell, but the standings will dictate. You, the answer to your question is as late as possible, mm-hmm. unless someone calls and blows you away, of course. That's a different story. But as late as possible, you make that decision. Here's a great poll question for you guys. Like, If you knew, because you said it before, you, you, we've seen this team get to the playoffs, and then, and then look. if you knew this team was again going to get to the playoffs, but you also knew it was going to fall short in the first or second round, let's say, would you advise Jed to sell in July? Like, is a playoff appearance enough for you? I would say for most Cub fans, the answer is no. Now, remember, that's a lot of excitement this summer if you get to the playoffs. Walk-off homers, all sorts of good things. Maybe you do win a round. But if you knew now you were going to fall short in October at some point, would you sell? I certainly would. Because if you don't, then Chris Bryan, who's having this incredible season, walks for nothing, potentially unless you re-sign him. 
Craig Kimbrell walks for nothing unless you resign him, right? All these guys that you could bring back a bunch of prospects on, they would walk for nothing, and you wouldn't have a World Series title. So he's going to decide late. I still think he's more likely to sell in some capacity. I've been on record lately saying I think Craig Kimbrell is gone by August 1st almost no matter what. Now, maybe if they're in first place by 10 games, I'm proven wrong. Mm -hmm. But one way or another, I think he's going to sell some parts. Um, If they're far enough out of first, he'll sell all of them. That's just my feeling. And I think it's the right move because you'll get a bunch of prospects back and retool this thing pretty quickly. Well, Cap, you follow the money in that spot, don't you? So if you do make the postseason, you will have some home dates. That matters, doesn't it? To have uh, butts in seats during the playoffs? Yes, it does, but I don't. Th- that's penny wise and pound foolish. If, like, if you told me they're going to get knocked out in round one, yeah, likely sell away. Well, exactly. then, well, well, then I'm doing that in June. Because if I already know what this is, what's the point of me keeping this team around? Now, well, again, not, there's not much selling that goes on in June. That's why I say if you get the call that blows you away, I would do it. I would do it. Now, they're not going to sell Chris Bryant in June. But, you know, Craig Kimbrough might get some calls. I mean, closers are so valuable midseason. It's incredible how it flips. In the offseason, you get nothing for Kimbrough. You get a ton for Chris Bryant, you know, in theory. You flip that in July. You get much more for a closer than you would normally for a position player. But as I documented over the weekend, Bryant is a different kind of position player. Jackie Robinson, Johnny Bench, and Chris Bryant are the only three former MVPs to start um, a game in five, at five different positions in one season, he's already done it. So, Wait a minute. Um, yeah, Johnny Bench, yeah. So yeah. Be- Bench catcher, first base, left Must field, have played third. I didn't look it up. I know Must he played, played third, third, left, and right. I believe yeah. that. Yeah, that must be it. And Jackie Robinson, how about to be in that uh, that class? So, and if Chris does playing? it at five five games, I think he has one more position he has to. Start maybe it's first base four more times. Yeah, he will have d- be the only guy to ever do that. So that yeah, he- only guy to do it at, uh, get five starts at five different positions Correct. in one season. So think yeah. about that. Any team that needs a third baseman and there's a bunch, oh, they're going to be calling Jed now. Any team that needs an outfielder or maybe a first baseman, which is kind of rare at the deadline, but if you do, you'll you might call Jed as well. The 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 li- the possibilities are limitless. You went from maybe. A couple prospects, B level, um, you know, based on what he did last year and all that stuff. To now, you might get a, an A or a prospect or two of them for Chris Bryant. Now, I'm not advocating that if you're in first place by five games, but short of that or three games out, I think it's the white flag. I really do. Remember, again, this is Jed Hoyer on day one of spring training. This is a transition year. His words, not mine. Now, they can, mm. they can make him change his mind. Like, plan A, I believe, is the transition to sell. Plan B is they surprise him, and he can't sell because it just wouldn't be prudent. So what the White Sox, boy, that stunk over the uh, weekend uh, being swept by the Yankees. What did that say about the White Sox? What did that say about the Yankees watching that series, Jeff? You know, I think you guys would agree. It's a nice learning experience for the Sox. It's two one-run losses, both in the ninth inning one aided by a triple play, okay? And then the middle game is Garrett Cole. They haven't lost two in a row in a month, okay? They lose three in a row. It is a great test. It's a learning experience. But I will say the one thing that worries me again, as I've said all along, uh, elite right-handed pitching, right? Um, Against all righties, they're 17 and 16. That's it, 17 and 16. And you face many more righties than lefties. Now we go to elite. I don't have the numbers, but you can imagine – 
you know, it's going to be tougher against the elite righties. They're lefties. Mankata is a great example. Have to step up, and I love what Mankata has been doing. But I don't put too much stock in it, Jay Hood. I think it's great that they get out of the division and play some of these other teams because, let's face it, the White Sox division is nothing special. They're basically the only team plus run differential. The AL East has four teams, like plus 25 or better. So they need to, to, to have some battle scars, right, between now and October. So win or lose, I think these are important games for them just to get the experience. I bet they're better against Yankee pitching the next time they face them. Yeah, I do think that they will come home. Tony said it's going to be hard to look, Tony LaRusso, to look at the Cardinals. He's never, it's the only team he's never managed a game against. Isn't that crazy? It is, and he knows Mike Schilter, manager, really, really well. So yep. it's, it's like managing against Matheny a little bit, but I like what he said yesterday. I'm hurting from this sweep. I'm not thinking about the Cardinals at all. I mean, there's a lot of things I actually like about Tony Larusa. There are. I just kind of like too. the. I just like the Zoom. Call. I mean, I'm a reporter, so you have to understand if if, if a manager's honest, good, bad, ugly, whatever. I, that's the number one thing I like. Of course, now, of course you do. Of course you do, Cap. Yeah. Of course that is you're going to be your shuffleboard partner pretty soon here. <laughs> Shocking. Whatever you know, it takes. So, yeah. Yeah. You can't. You can't lose the pennant. You know. That's that. No one's going to like. But I do like his honesty and a lot of. He must be keeping something together if you don't lose two in a row uh, in a month until this past weekend, right? Uh, no question. Jesse, have a great day, okay, man? You two guys. Hey, tonight, Sox Cardinals on ESPN TV. I will be doing the sideline reporting ah. for it. Joe West will tie the record for most games umpired tonight. He'll break it tomorrow. So it should be an interesting day on the south side tonight. Uh, warm night, dark suit for Jesse. Yeah, it's probably true. And I, if you hear somebody <laughs> hassling you, Jesse, it'll be me and my wife up in the stands. Excellent. Enjoy it. And I expect you to be heckling Joe West. I, I expect nothing less out of you. You got it. Have a great day. All right. Take care. There See he you. is, Jesse Rogers. Did you have a hard fall? My watch said I did because I pounded my hand. <laughs> it's crazy. But you're standing upright. I'll tell your watch you're fine. You're doing just I'm fine. I'm okay. Thank you. <laughs> right. Jesse Rogers is fueled by the Pride Store. It's not your typical convenience oh, store. Check out one of their 15 Chicago Land locations today. I'm Phil Mickelson wins a major at 50. Oh, God. A weak battery could leave you stranded, so don't take a chance. O'Reilly Auto Parts will test your battery free of charge. Your battery needs to be replaced. Their professional parts people can help you find the exact battery that fits your car truck at a guaranteed low price. Make sure your vehicle is prepared for the weather ahead by getting your battery tested for free at O'Reilly Auto Parts. This is Cap and Jay Hood. Follow on Instagram at, at Cap Jay Hood. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. So, have you ever been mistaken for, like, a big-time celebrity? Not like, oh, you look like somebody I know. Like, I'm talking about a big celebrity. I don't know. I don't think so. Is uh, Tony Gwynn a a great celebrity? Pretty good. How about in death? Is he a big celebrity now? (laughs) Bigger. (laughs) So, our guy from our show, Uh, J.R. Strauss, was in Indy. And what about you, sir? You're, you're mistaken by someone at the airport. Yeah, I've had Ryan Sandberg. Yes. I have also had Michael Keaton when I had my goatee. Michael, Michael Keaton. Ke- Are you Michael Keaton? No. Yes. 
I'm not. No, I'm Batman. Um, but Jr. was in Indy on Friday for the Carmen and Yurko show remote down at the Motor Speedway. Mm-hmm. And if you've never seen Jr., Jr. has a very long white beard. You can see it on Twitch now. So Jr., who did they mistake you for? So when we went down to pit row, you had to be masked to go into enter pit row, and I'm walking down to pit row where guests of the Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan racing team. Mm-hmm. I'm walking down there, and someone in pit row stopped me, and she said, I thought you were him. I said, excuse me? She said, you're about six or eight inches shorter, but you could be a dead ringer for David Letterman. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> David Letterman, because he's got the long white well, beard. And right. you know what? She was right. With the sunglasses on, I saw a picture of him in the suite with the mask on. Yeah, I could see it. There was a resemblance. Did you get to go take a picture with him? With David Letterman? No, yeah. he was not there. Oh, Bobby Rahal was there, though, and he was fantastic. Uh, the Rahal-Letterman-Lanigan racing team was great. When was the last time you didn't have a beard? Um, well, I've always had kind of scruff for the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, like, Danny can Danny could shave Monday morning. Danny, if you shave Monday morning, when do you have not a full growth, but you go, oh, I could probably shave again? I shaved yesterday. By tomorrow, you'll think I should shave again. Every other day. And I'm kind of in that. I shaved Saturday. Now, here's the thing, though. It was a close call. But maybe from far away, you looked like Letterman. There could have been an opportunity there for you, you know. Yeah, I I would have liked to have seen what I could get away with there. Especially if I was walking with Bobby Rahal, right? I mean, they're they're seen together all the time. It's just, is he standing in a hole? What's what's happening over there? (laughs) Well, I mean, you can fool anybody, right? They've seen Letterman on TV. They don't realize how tall he is, and then it's you, right? And he's got the same glasses, (laughs) same beard. Same haircut. I just didn't say anything. I just waved. <laughs> how, how old is he now? He's got to be in his 70s, right? The, uh, David Letterman? Just one of the greats, man. And I just... I he's love, 74, guys. I you love remind me, JR, of a man who looks like he's 74. That's right. Dude. Yeah, but you're young looking. That's okay. I can't believe David Letterman's that tall. She said eight inches? She said she said you're about six or eight inches. He's I mean, six he's, foot two. Yeah. Letterman's six foot two. So, Cap, you know, since you're five eight, you know, I'm like just about five nine. So, what? That's, you know, about five inches. There you go. You got to take that, man. I'm not. You guys, me- you guys measured. It was on TV. Yeah, whatever. What, and, you what know, about because, the camp? There, there was a picture of you two back to back, right? Mm-hmm. And because, you know, I'm not the largest person in the world, that was the advantage I had. Yurko was too big to get in that car. I had the opportunity to get in an Indy two-seater car and go around the track. Wow. Yeah, that was I've amazing. done it. Where you sit behind the driver, but you're strapped in, Hans device, whole deal, 180 miles an hour. You try and, like, lift your head just a little, and the force of the wind as you're going snaps you back to reality. So, JR, from your standpoint, you're getting in there. You're already jittery. Oh, yeah. Did you smoke beforehand or no? No. Oh, okay. come on. So that had to be brutal for you. <laughs> I mean, that, I mean, there's no there's no coffee. I, I, coffee. I did, I, did, I did do a half and half, little half regular and decaf, <laughs> just so I wasn't completely climbing out of my skull. But, yeah, getting into that car, yeah, yeah it was nerve-wracking. And, they, you know, they strap you down. And, and when you take off, man, you just... You just go, and it yeah, was just unbelievable. It's freaking. So Carmen will tell you more about it at ten. He he had a great experience as well. Yeah. Everybody at my jack, they were just fantastic. So a great time was had by everyone. And we saw this, uh, some of the broadcast on Twitch. It looked like it was just a lot of people that were there. Some ESPN one thousand listeners too. Yeah, we had some listeners who won a contest. They spent the night uh, with us in the hotel the night before. We got into a little trouble at the bar. As well, because oh. Yurko was hosting. You know how that works. Um, but <laughs> everyone had such a great time, and there was a 
busload of Yurko's friends that showed up as well, there was some consumption being done for sure. You say a busload. You mean they got off a luxury like, bus? Like, I, I don't, he'll, you know what, he'll have to tell you about it. I don't know where they came department. from, but they were all his friends. Oh. And I mean, it was, these guys could definitely put it away. They were there. They were ready to go when we were starting the broadcast. Like, they were full on, just oh. ready to go. David Letterman works on the show. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. <laughs> I did not I lo- know that. JR, thanks, man. Appreciate thanks, you. Do you remember Letterman was a, a daytime show first? You know, remember this? No. Letterman was a daytime show first. Is this correct, Danny? Oh, there's a daytime show first and then became an evening show. I do not remember that. I do know he was furious when Leno got to replace Carson because he thought that was his. That was just a whole mess with Leno sticking his chin in there, just, just messing up everything for Conan, for our, for our generation that wanted to see something younger in that spot. That was just a mess. And it, it was, j- Hoodie, it was originally a morning show. How about yes. that? Daytime it was given show, a yeah. morning show, a comedy morning show. It was 90 minutes long, and then they shortened it to 60. Think about that. Think about Letterman. And, and it was a little edgy even back then, too. This is the Andy Kaufman versus Jerry Lawler situation where on live TV, Jerry Lawler slaps the blank out of Andy Kaufman, and Andy Kaufman's like throwing F-bombs on daytime TV. Back in the early '80s, I recall this. Not gonna fly. So I mean, so th- he was a daytime. So I don't. What's the equivalent of that? What's the equivalent of that now, Danny? Like the daytime talk show. It's not quite Ellen because it was a morning show, right? Daytime it can't morning be show. That Ryan Seacrest show. That... Probably something like that. Yeah. In the daytime. God, and I it, don't remember that. Yeah, and it became a night show. I recall this. And then Leno was losing in the ratings until he got Hugh Grant on. And then he took off and did not lose very often again. Dominated the ratings. He was up there saying, did you see this? Did you read this? Did you hear about this? And getting ratings by doing that. You see this? You read this? You hear about this? You you like my uh, blue jean jacket? That's pretty much it. And I was always a Letterman guy over a Leno guy because I thought Leno was talking to Des Moines and Letterman was talking to America. That's what I always thought. Right. It drove Letterman crazy that he couldn't beat him in the ratings. Leno was just talking to middle America with those, those... Lame jokes, and there was at least thought with Letterman. There was creativity. It was you, you didn't know what you're going to see next with Letterman. You had to watch because, like, you don't know what's going to happen next, right? I like that type of theater, that type of TV. And Leno's like, did you see this? And Cedar Rapids, did you see this? And in winning the ratings war. Yeah. Not a big fan of that. All right, our guy Jesse Rogers, a lot to unpack. Awful umpiring last night in St. Louis. And the Cardinals in town to take on the White Sox. Next, take the minutes.